Chapter Twenty Four of the Egoist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Egoist by George Meredith. Chapter Twenty Four contains an instance of the generosity of Willoughby observers of a gathering complication and a character in action commonly resemble gleaners who are intent only on picking up the ears of grain and huddling their store disinterestedly or interestedly they wax over-eager for the little trifles and make too much of them observers should begin upon the precept that not all we see is worth hoarding and that the things we see are to be weighed in the scale with what we know of the situation before we commit ourselves to a measurement and they may be accurate observers without being good judges they do not think so and their bent is to glean hurriedly and form conclusions as hasty when their business should be sift at each step and question Miss Dale seconded Vernon Whitford in the occupation of counting looks and tones, and noting scraps of dialogue. She was quite disinterested. He quite believed that he was. To this degree they were competent for their post, and neither of them imagined they could be personally involved in the dubious result of the scenes they witnessed. They were but anxious observers, diligently collecting. She fancied Clara susceptible to his advice. He had fancied it, and was considering it one of his vanities. Each mentally compared Clara's abruptness in taking them into her confidence with her abstention from any secret word since the arrival of Colonel de Craye. Sir Willoughby requested Letitia to give Miss Middleton as much of her company as she could, showing that he was on the alert. Another Constantia Durham seemed beating her wings for flight. The suddenness of the evident intimacy between Clara and Colonel de Craye shocked Letitia. Their acquaintance could be computed by hours yet at their first interview she had suspected the possibility of worse than she now supposed to be and she had begged vernon not immediately to quit the hall in consequence of that faint suspicion she had been led to it by meeting clara and de craye at her cottage gate and finding them as fluent and laughter-breathing in conversation as friends unable to realize the rapid advance to a familiarity more ostensible than actual of two lively natures after such an introduction as they had undergone and one of the two pining in a drought of liveliness letitia listened to their wager of nothing at all a no against a yes in the case of poor flitch and clara's willoughby will not forgive and de craye's oh he's human and the silence of clara and de craye's hearty cry flitch shall be a gentleman's coachman in his old seat or i haven't a tongue 
to which there was a negative of clara's head and it then struck letitia that this young betrothed lady whose alienated heart acknowledged no lord an hour earlier had met her match and as the observer would have said her destiny she judged of the alarming possibility by the recent revelation to herself of miss middleton's character and by clara's having spoken to a man as well to vernon and previously that a young lady should speak on the subject of the inner holies to a man though he were vernon whitford was incredible to letitia but it had to be accepted as one of the dread facts of our inexplicable life which drag our bodies at their wheels and leave our minds exclaiming then if clara could speak to vernon which letitia would not have done for a mighty bribe she could speak to de Cray, letitia thought deductively this being the logic of untrained heads opposed to the proceeding whereby their condemnatory deduction hangs clara must have spoken to de Cray. letitia remembered how winning and prevailing miss middleton could be in her confidences a gentleman hearing her might forget his duty to his friend she thought for she had been strangely swayed by clara ideas of sir willoughby that she had never before imagined herself to entertain had been sown in her she thought not asking herself whether the searchingness of the young lady had struck them and bidden them rise from where they lay embedded very gentle women take in that manner impressions of persons especially of the worshipped person wounding them like the new fortifications with embankments of soft earth where explosive missiles bury themselves harmlessly until they are plucked out and it may be a reason why those injured ladies outlive a clara middleton similarly battered vernon less than letitia took into account that clara was in a state of fever scarcely reasonable her confidences to him he had excused as a piece of conduct in sympathy with her position he had not been greatly astonished by the circumstances confided and on the whole as she was excited and unhappy he excused her thoroughly he could have extolled her it was natural that she should come to him brave in her to speak so frankly a compliment that she should condescend to treat him as a friend her position excused her widely but she was not excused for making a confidential friend of de Cray. there was a difference well the difference was that de Cray had not the smarting sense of honour with women which our meditator had an impartial judiciary it will be seen and he discriminated between himself and the other justly but sensation surging to his brain at the same instant he reproached miss middleton for not perceiving that difference as clearly before she betrayed her position to de Cray, which vernon assumed that she had done of course he did 
she had been guilty of it once why then in the mind of an offended friend she would be guilty of it twice there was evidence ladies fatally predestined to appeal to that from which they have to be guarded must expect severity when they run off their railed high-road justice is out of the question man's brains might his blood cannot administer it to them by chilling him to the bone they may get what they cry for but that is a method deadening to their point of appeal in the evening miss middleton and the colonel sang a duet she had of late declined to sing her voice was noticeably firm sir willoughby said to her you have recovered your richness of tone clara she smiled and appeared happy in pleasing him he named a french ballad she went to the music-rack and gave the song unasked he should have been satisfied for she said to him at the finish is that as you like it he broke from a murmur to miss dale admirable someone mentioned a tuscan popular canzone she waited for willoughby's approval and took his nod for a mandate traitress he could have bellowed he had read of this characteristic of caressing obedience of the women about to deceive he had in his time profited by it is it intuitively or by their experience that our neighbours across the channel surpass us in the knowledge of your sex he said to miss dale and talked through clara's apostrophe to the santissima virgine maria still treating temper as a part of policy without any effect on clara and that was a matter for sickly green reflections the lover who cannot wound has indeed lost anchorage he is woefully adrift he stabs air which is to stab himself her complacent proof-armour bids him know himself supplanted during the short conversational period before the ladies retired for the night miss eleanor alluded to the wedding by chance miss isabel replied to her and addressed an interrogation to clara de craye foiled it adroitly clara did not utter a syllable her bosom lifted to a wavering height and sank subsequently she looked at de craye vacantly like a person awakened but she looked she was astonished by his readiness and thankful for the succour her look was cold wide unfixed with nothing of gratitude or of personal in it the look however stood too long for willoughby's endurance ejaculating porcelain he uncrossed his legs a signal for the ladies eleanor and isabel to retire vernon bowed to clara as she was rising he had not been once in her eyes and he expected a partial recognition at the good-night she said it turning her head to miss isabel who was condoling once more with colonel de craye over the ruins of his wedding present the porcelain vase 
which she supposed to have been in Willoughby's mind when he displayed the signal. Vernon walked off to his room, dark as one smitten blind, bile tumet yecur. Her stroke of neglect hit him there, where a blow sends thick obscuration upon eyeballs and brain alike. Clara saw that she was paining him, and regretted it when they were separated. That was her real friend. But he prescribed too hard a task. Besides, she had done everything he demanded of her, except the consenting to stay where she was and wear out Willoughby, whose dexterity wearied her small stock of patience. She had vainly tried remonstrance and supplication, with her father hoodwinked by his host. She refused to consider how. Through wine. The thought was repulsive. Nevertheless, she was drawn to the edge of it by the contemplation of her scheme of release. If Lucy Dalton was at home, if Lucy invited her to come, if she flew to Lucy, Oh, then her father would have cause for anger. He would not remember that but for hateful wine. What was there in this wine of great age which expelled reasonableness, fatherliness? He was her dear father, she was his beloved child. Yet something divided them, something closed her father's ears to her. And could it be that incomprehensible seduction of the wine? Her dutifulness cried violently, No! She bowed, stupefied to his arguments for remaining a while, and rose clear-headed and rebellious with the reminiscence of the many strong reasons she had urged against them. The strangeness of men, young and old, the little things, she regarded a grand wine as a little thing, twisting and changing them, amazed her. And these are they by whom women are abused for variability. Only the most imperious reasons, never mean trifles, move women, thought she. Would women do an injury to one they loved for oceans of that... Oh, and women must respect men. They necessarily respect a father. My dear, dear father, Clara said in the solitude of her chamber, musing on all his goodness, and she endeavoured to reconcile the desperate sentiments of the position he forced her to sustain with those of a venerating daughter. The blow which was to fall on him beat on her heavily in advance. "'I have not one excuse,' she said, glancing at numbers and a mighty one. But the idea of her father suffering at her hands cast her down lower than self-justification. She sought to imagine herself sparing him. It was too fictitious. The sanctuary of her chamber, the pure white room so homely to her maidenly feelings, whispered peace, only to follow the whisper with another that went through her swelling to a roar, 
and leaving her as a string of music unkindly smitten if she stayed in this house her chamber would no longer be a sanctuary dolorous bondage insolent death is not worse death's worm we cannot keep away but when he has us we are numb to dishonour happily senseless youth weighed her eyelids to sleep though she was quivering and quivering she awoke to the sound of her name beneath her window i can love still for i love him she said as she luxuriated in young crossjay's boy's voice again envying him his bath in the lake waters which seemed to her to have the power to wash away grief and chains then it was that she resolved to let crossjay see the last of her in this place he should be made gleeful by doing her a piece of service he should escort her on her walk to the railway station next morning thence be sent flying for a long day's truancy with a little note of apology on his behalf that she would write for him to deliver to vernon at night crossjay came running to her after his breakfast with mrs montague the housekeeper to tell her he had called her up you won't to-morrow i shall be up far ahead of you said she and musing on her father while crossjay vowed to be up the first she thought it her duty to plunge into another expostulation willoughby had need of vernon on private affairs dr middleton betook himself as usual to the library after answering i will ruin you yet to willoughby's liberal offer to dispatch an order to london for any books he might want his fine unruffled air as of a mountain in still morning beams made clara not indisposed to a preliminary scene with willoughby that might save her from distressing him but she could not stop willoughby as little could she look an invitation he stood in the hall holding vernon by the arm she passed him he did not speak and she entered the library what now my dear what is it said dr middleton seeing that the door was shut on them nothing papa she replied calmly you've not locked the door my child you turned something there try the handle i assure you papa the door is not locked mr whitford will be here instantly we are engaged on tough matter women have not an opinion is universal that they never will have a conception of the value of time we are vain and shallow my dear papa no no not you clara but i suspect you require to learn by having work in progress how important is is a quiet commencement of the day's task there is not a scholar who will not tell you so we must have a retreat these invasions so you intend to have another ride to-day they do you good to-morrow we dine with mrs mountstuart jenkinson an estimable person indeed though i do not perfectly understand our accepting 
you have not to accuse me of sitting over wine last night my clara i never do it unless i am appealed to for my judgment upon a wine i have come to entreat you to take me away papa in the midst of the storm aroused by this renewal of perplexity dr middleton replaced a book his elbow had knocked over in his haste to dash the hair off his forehead crying whither to what spot that reading of guide-books and idle people's notes of travel and picturesque correspondence in the newspapers unsettles man and maid my objection to the living in hotels is known i do not hesitate to say that i do cordially abhor it i have had penitentially to submit to it in your dear mother's time caitris cacodaimon up to the full ten thousand times but will you not comprehend that to the older man his miseries are multiplied by his years but is it utterly useless to solicit your sympathy with an old man clara general darleton will take us in papa his table is detestable i say nothing of that but his wine is poison let that pass i should rather say let it not pass but our political views are not in accord true we are not under the obligation to propound them in presence but we are destitute of an opinion in common we have no discourse military men have produced or diverged in noteworthy epicures they are often devout they have blossomed in lettered men they are gentlemen the country rightly holds them in honour but in fine i reject the proposal to go to general darleton tears no papa i do hope not here we have everything man can desire without contest an excellent host you have your transitory teacup tempests which you magnify to hurricanes in the approved historic manner of the book of cupid and all the better i repeat it is the better that you should have them over in the infancy of the alliance come in dr middleton shouted cheerily in response to a knock at the door he feared the door was locked he had a fear that his daughter intended to keep it locked clara he cried she reluctantly turned the handle and the ladies eleanor and isabel came in apologizing with as much coherence as dr middleton ever expected from their sex they wished to speak to clara but they declined to take her away in vain the reverend doctor assured them she was at their service they protested that they had very few words to say and would not intrude one moment further than to speak them like a shy deputation of young scholars before the master these very words to come were preceded by none at all a dismal and trying cause refreshing however to dr middleton who joyfully anticipated that the ladies could be induced to take away clara when they had finished we may appear to you a little formal miss isabel began 
and turned to her sister we have no intention to lay undue weight on our mission if mission it can be called said miss eleanor is it entrusted to you by willoughby said clara dear child that you may know it all the more earnest with us and our personal desire to contribute to your happiness therefore does willoughby entrust the speaking of it to us hereupon the sisters alternated in addressing clara and she gazed from one to the other piecing fragments of empty signification to get the full meaning when she might and in saying your happiness dear clara we have our willoughby's in view which is dependent on yours and we never could sanction that our own inclinations should stand in the way no we love the old place and if it were only our punishment for loving it too idolatrously we should deem it ground enough for our departure without really an idea of unkindness none not any young wives naturally prefer to be undisputed queens of their own establishment youth and age but i said clara have never mentioned never had a thought you have dear child a lover who in his solicitude for your happiness both sees what you desire and what is due to you and for us clara to recognize what is due to you is to act on it besides dear a seaside cottage has always been one of our dreams we have not to learn that we are a couple of old maids incongruous associates for a young wife in the government of a great house with our antiquated notions questions of domestic management might arise and with the best will in the world to be harmonious so dear clara consider it settled from time to time gladly shall we be your guests your guests dear not censorious critics and you think me such an egoist dear ladies the suggestion of so cruel a piece of selfishness wounds me i would not have had you leave the hall i like your society i respect you my complaint if i had one would be that you do not sufficiently assert yourselves i could have wished you to be here for an example to me i would not have allowed you to go what can he think of me did willoughby speak of it this morning it was hard to distinguish which was the completer dupe of these two echoes of one another in worship of a family idol willoughby miss eleanor presented herself to be stamped with the title hanging ready for the first that should open her lips our willoughby is observant he is ever generous and he is not less forethoughtful his arrangement is for our good on all sides an index is enough said miss isabel appearing in her turn the monster dupe you will not have to leave dear ladies were i mistress here i should oppose it willoughby blames himself for not reassuring you before indeed we blame ourselves for not undertaking to go did he speak of it first this morning 
said clara but she could draw no reply to that from them they resumed the duet and she resigned herself to have her ears boxed with nonsense so it is understood said miss eleanor i see your kindness ladies and i am to be aunt eleanor again and i aunt isabel clara could have wrung her hands at the impediment which prohibited her delicacy from telling them why she could not name them so as she had done in the earlier days of willoughby's courtship she kissed them warmly ashamed of kissing though the warmth was real they retired with a flow of excuses to dr middleton for disturbing him he stood at the door to bow them out and holding the door for clara to wind up the procession discovered her at a far corner of the room he was debating upon the advisability of leaving her there when vernon whitford crossed the hall from the laboratory door a mirror of himself in his companion air of discomposure that was not important so long as vernon was a check on clara but the moment clara thus baffled moved to quit the library dr middleton felt the horror of having an uncomfortable face opposite no botheration i hope it's the worst thing possible to work on where have you been i suspect your weak point is not to arm yourself in triple brass against bother and worry and no good work can you do unless you do you have come out of that laboratory i have sir can i get you any book vernon said to clara she thanked him promising to depart immediately now you are at the section of italian literature my love said dr middleton well mr whitford the laboratory where the amount of labour done within the space of a year would not stretch an electric current between this hall and the railway station say four miles which i presume the distance to be well sir and a dilettantism costly in time and machinery is as ornamental as foxes tails and deer's horns to an independent gentleman whose fellows are contented with the latter decorations for their civic wreath willoughby let me remark has recently shown himself most considerate for my girl as far as i could gather i have been listening to a dialogue of ladies he is as generous as he is discreet there are certain combats in which to be the one to succumb is to claim the honours and that is what women will not learn i doubt their seeing the glory of it i have heard of it i have been with willoughby vernon said hastily to shield clara from her father's allusive attacks he wished to convey to her that his interview with willoughby had not been profitable in her interests and that she had better at once having him present to support her pour out her whole heart to her father but how was it to be conveyed she would not meet his eyes and he was too poor an intriguer to be ready on the instant to deal out the verbal obscurities which are transparencies to one 
i shall regret it if willoughby has annoyed you for he stands high in my favour said dr middleton clara dropped a book her father started higher than the nervous impulse warranted in his chair vernon tried to win a glance and she was conscious of his effort but her angry and guilty feelings prompting her resolution to follow her own counsel kept her eyelids on the defensive i don't say he annoys me sir i am here to give him my advice and if he does not accept it i have no right to be annoyed willoughby seems annoyed that colonel de craye should talk of going to-morrow or next day he likes his friends about him upon my word a man of more genial heart you might march a day without finding but you have it on the forehead mr whitford oh no sir there dr middleton drew his finger along his brows vernon felt along his own and coined an excuse for their blackness not aware that the direction of his mind towards clara pushed him to a kind of clumsy double meaning while he satisfied an inward and craving wrath as he said by the way i have been racking my head i must apply to you sir i have a line and am uncertain of the run of the line will this pass do you think in assignation's tongue he assinates signifying that he excels any man of us at donkey dialect after a decent interval for the genius of criticism to seem to have been sitting under his frown dr middleton rejoined with sober jocularity no sir it will not pass and your uncertainty in regard to the run of the line would only be extended where the line centipedal our recommendation is that you erase it before the arrival of the ferule this might do in assignation's name he assignats signifying that he pre-eminently flourishes hypothetical promises to pay by appointment that might pass but you will forbear to cite me for your authority the line would be acceptable if i could get it to apply said vernon or this dr middleton was offering a second suggestion but clara fled astonished at men as she never yet had been why in a burning world they would be exercising their minds in absurdities and those two were scholars learned men and both knew they were in the presence of a soul in a tragic fever a minute after she had closed the door they were deep in their work dr middleton forgot his alternative line nothing serious he said in reproof of the want of honourable clearness on vernon's brows i trust not sir it's a case for common sense and you call that not serious i take hermann's praise of the versus dochmiarchus to be not only serious but unexaggerated said vernon dr middleton assented and entered on the voiceful ground of greek metres 
shoving your dry, dusty world from his elbow. End of chapter 24 Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey